0: Well, today we're going to be looking at the end of the end, okay? Uh, we have come to the end of our series, in the beginning and in the end, so this will be the final uh, message that we're going to be looking at uh, here at the uh, end of the end here. And so we're going to be looking at the great tribulations, what we're going to talk about here this, here this morning. we will be in Matthew chapter 24. And so I want to carry on with our principle from last week. When one understands future events, it will assist them in making wise decisions today. Now, I know we've covered a lot of material throughout this series. and uh, and my desire is that you'll take this information and you'll go and study the Bible open it up have a look at these things and so you can study it for yourself we only can scratch the surface as we go through this series and so I'm hoping it would it would cause you to dive into scripture more so than maybe you would regarding the future events as we talk about them so I've got a timeline here that we've uh, shown in the past and so uh, uh, we're going to only just scratch the surface really of that timeline But as you go through that, you can have a look that two weeks ago we talked about the rapture. And this is a time when Jesus will come back into the clouds and snatch away the believers, the bride of Christ, the church. And uh, be careful not to confuse this with the second advent of Christ, whenever Christ comes down to earth. They they have similar language oftentimes, but they're actually two different events. If you go and look at the things in which they differ, you see that these are actually two separate events. So don't get those mixed up. Uh, that will happen, uh, the Christ's return will happen to earth at the end of the tribulation. After the tribulation, is the great tribulation we're going to talk about today. Now at some point after the rapture of the church, the world will enter into what the Bible calls the tribulation period. Last week we talked about the first half of the tribulation period and it was a frightening time on earth. Uh, but, think, uh, but if you think the tribulation was bad, the great tribulation is even worse here on earth. Uh, Today we'll have a look at the Great Tribulation and some of the events that follow it as well. And so uh, there's an event that will kick off the Great Tribulation, and it's called, it's referred to in the Bible as the Abomination of Desolation. Now, uh, even that phrase brings a sense of awe and doom, doesn't it? Uh, And uh, uh, if I was over in one of the black churches over in the the U.S., whenever I say, you know, abomination of desolation, there'd probably be some guy on the piano going dun-dun-dun. I mean, it sort of brings that out, right, that that, that sense of doom. And uh, so let's take a look at the abomination of desolation here. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, notice this next bit here, it says, Whomever reads, let him understand. That's important. Whomever reads, let him understand. Then let those who were in Judea flee into the mountains, and let him who is on the, the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. Let him who is on in the fields not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days. And pray that your flights may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation. Notice this next bit. Such as has not been, not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall, nor ever shall be. This is going to be the worst time in history here upon earth. You can go and you think about any time in history you think it was pretty bad. Well, there's going to be nothing compared to this time here on earth during the tribulation period. Unless those days were shortened, he says. No flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There's going to be filth in the temple. The phrase abomination of desolation refers to an act of abomination that renders something unclean. And in this case, it is the temple that is rendered unclean. In in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, he speaks of an act that was fulfilled in history before the first coming of Christ when Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple in 70 A.D. However, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, it speaks of a future similar event to that of, of, uh, uh, of the event that happened in the past. And then Daniel goes on to say that this person, however, will be destroyed in three and a half years. So these are two different events. So the act of abomination brings us to the midpoint of the tribulation period. And we're looking at uh, uh, the midpoint here, with the start of the great tribulation. And with it, it brings a false religion. Now, this false religion will be worldwide. Uh, The Antichrist will set up an image of himself in the temple so that he can be worshipped in the place of God. And in doing so, he desecrates the temple, rendering it unclean. As a result of that, there can no more sacrifices be made. So this is when the the persecution will start to intensify for those who refuse to worship. Uh, This is not just for those who want to worship Jesus, but also those who choose not to worship the Antichrist. Worship of the Antichrist uh, and his image will be required. And uh, and for those who choose not to do so, they'll be persecuted or they'll be put to death. Now, the mark of the beast will be Im- introduced at this time as well, which not, will not allow anyone to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast and also have given their allegiance to the worship of the Antichrist. Now, I know there's some out there that have some concerns about the COVID jab, and they say that the COVID jab is the mark of the beast. It's not. Okay? Uh, the COVID jab is not the mark of the beast. We're not in the tribulation at this period of time. There's still some things that has to happen before we are even get into the tribulation period. And so uh, the COVID jab is not the mark of the beast, but it could be a foreshadowing of those things which will come. There'll be fleeing Jews as well. And when this happened, the Jews are told to flee to the Judean hills. When the Antichrist sets up the abomination of desolation in the rebuilt Jewish temple, he goes from being a, a protector of Israel to a persecutor of Israel. And the quicker they get out, the better chance they have of survival. They, they are uh, instructed not to collect their personal items. If you're in, up in the mountains, you stay in the mountains. If you're in the field, uh, don't go back home. Don't worry about your clothes. You just take off. Or you just run. If you're uh, pregnant or nursing, this is going to be challenging for you because you, you want to go as quickly as you possibly can and pray for good weather and pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Trekking through those hills in the wet winter months can be very treacherous, especially if you're taking some young children with you. And on the Sabbath, uh, you're you're only allowed to travel a certain distance on the Sabbath, and that would restrict your request to get away, which also goes to show you that this is actually a Jewish passage here. This is not the church because it happens on the Sabbath. I mean, hey, look, we'd love for Jesus to come on the Sabbath. That'd be great for us, wouldn't it? We would love to see that. Uh, uh, But uh, Matthew says, whomever reads this, let him understand. And so Jesus is warning the Jews that as soon as they hear about the abomination of desolation, to start running for the hills because their life will depend on it. There's going to be some assistance provided as well. Revelation chapter 12 verse 6 says, And then the woman, talking about Israel here, When the woman fled into the wilderness... Uh, where, she had, where she had prepared a place by God that they should feed her 1,260 days. Now, if you do the math, that's, that's three and a half years. Okay, And so they will be giving aid for this three and a half years. Revelation gives us a bit more insight. The reason why they can flee without worrying over the supplies is that God is going to protect her and God is going to provide for her. Now, this will be reminiscent of the wilderness wanderings, if you remember what happened in the wilderness as they escaped Egypt. For 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness, and God provided food and water, and their clothing never wore out. And so this is probably going to be similar to that. that He will provide for their every need. He will take care of them throughout the rest of the tribulation. There's also going to be some attacks that will intensify as well. In Revelation 12, 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe unto the habitants of the earth and the sea. Notice this, for the devil has come down to you. I mean, you think things were bad before. Now the devil has actually come down to earth. And notice what it says. He has great wrath, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, talking about Israel here, who gave birth to the male child, which is Jesus Christ. But the woman who, who was given wings with, with, a, with a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness and to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a times, again, three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood. Many commentators believe that this is the armies that go after Israel. And that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood with which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here the devil really ramps things up now because he knows that his time is short. Anti-Semitism is at its all-time high. Satan will use everything in his power to destroy the Jewish people, and this is why God has to step in in order to nourish them and protect them. Those who made it to Petra, they will be protected from from Satan and for the rest of the tribulation. And when we put all the scriptures together regarding the great tribulation, hundreds of millions of people will die in a comparatively short time. Because Satan can't get to the Jewish remnant, he goes and turns his attention to the rest of the world and he makes war with the followers of Jesus Christ. And Matthew tells us that in those days they will be shortened because if they weren't shortened, no flesh would physically survive this time. This is how bad things are going to get. The tribulation was bad, but the great tribulation is much, much worse. There will be an acceptance of the the Messiah, uh, the Jewish remnant, that remains will finally accept Jesus as their Messiah and be saved. They will turn, their back, they, they will turn back to him, and the Jewish uh, remnant will, of those days, they will, they will go through into the millennial kingdom at the end of the age. And, and God will protect them to the end. However, the unbelieving Jews, they will be purged out, and, and only the faithful will remain to the end. But for the remnant, we do find another warning. And notice this warning here. He says to avoid deception in Matthew chapter 24. It says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here's Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. Notice this next bit. If possible, even the elect. You see that? See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, He is in the desert. Do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. The Jewish remnant are now in a safe place under God's protection. So how do we get them out from under that protection so that you can kill them? How do you get those that are hiding up in the mountains, those Jews to come out of their hiding places, so that you can kill them? Well, you start up a rumor mill and you start telling people that, hey, Christ is in the wilderness. Come and see. Or maybe he's in a, a private room somewhere. Oh, you got to come and see him. And they're talking about signs and wonders and all that will be provided. So much so that they think, and it sounds like, hey, you know what? This is something that maybe the Messiah might do. And so they come out. And so here, they, they are being warned by, by the Scriptures. These false prophets would even see the, deceive the very elect if possible. This is how deceptive and cunning they really are. And those that don't have true faith, will go out and seek a sign. And this is why they're being warned, do not believe everything you hear. In fact, I think that's good advice for us even today, isn't it? Don't believe everything you hear. Just because somebody gets online and some some pastor goes and preaches on something, you don't believe it, you go back to the Word of God and you study for yourself. There's also an almighty entrance that happens. In Matthew 24, verse 27, it says, and as The lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west. I love this. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will gather together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give off its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of the trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four winds, one in, uh, of heaven from another. Now, a lot of people look at that last part of that verse and they say, Well, hey, hang on, isn't that the rapture? No, they're actually two different events, remember. Uh, The rapture is a a vertical uh, happening, whereas we go up to be with Christ up in the clouds, whereas here, this is a horizontal one. God is there getting all the elect together into one place here on earth. And so Jesus Christ is not going to come in secret. We have uh, false prophets that are claiming that there's some secret room that he's in, or maybe he's hiding out in the wilderness, and he goes and tells them, hey, look, when I show up, everybody's going to know it. It's going to be like lightning in the sky. The other day, uh, Michael and I were at the office, and and as I was sitting there, um, I I closed my door because Michael prays too loud, and so I like it quiet. And and I've got the the blinds there. I I pull my blinds down because they reflect off my computer. So I'm just sitting there in in my office, and all of a sudden, it just lit up. Boom. It just lit up. And I thought, oh my, you know, I thought, hey, maybe this is it, you know, maybe this is the rapture. And I go and I look down at, at my body and I'm thinking, hey, look, this is a glorified body. I got robbed, <laughs> okay? And so I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe this is not the rapture. And then, of course, I heard the clap of the, the lightning out there. And, and it, was, it, was, it was so intense, man, it was amazing. Because I've only got like a little sliver uh, of, of space in between my blind and the sides of the, of the window. And through that little sliver, all of that light just flooded into my office and it just brightened it up. And then, of course, I got a, a phone call from my wife, and she goes, did you see that? You know, they're her whole house, all the place lit up, and then she got online, and everybody was talking about in Diallop how their house is just lit up. Well, you know what? That's what it's going to be like when Christ comes. Everybody's going to see him. He's going to be like lightning in the sky. When Jesus arrives on the scene, there's also going to be a major battle that takes place. It's going to be the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus will destroy the nations that fight against Israel. The body count will be high. The bloodshed from that battle will be so great that the blood will rise up to the horse's bridle, the scripture says. When Jesus is done defeating his enemies, he will call all the birds to come and feast on the bodies. Look, I don't know if you've ever seen a show about the Armageddon, but there's no TV show that you've ever seen about Armageddon that's going to even come close to the actual event that we're talking about here in Scripture. But there's going to be the antichrist. He's going to be defeated. The antichrist is defeated in Revelation chapter 19 verse 20, then the beast was captured and with him a false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of burning uh, like a fire, burning with brimstone. The Antichrist and his false prophet will be cast alive into the lake of fire. All the enemies will be defeated and become bird food. In the end, Satan is defeated and Jesus wins. Let me say that again. In the end, Satan is defeated and Jesus wins. Are you excited about that or not? There's absolute darkness also takes place during this time, immediately after the tribulation. The sun and the moon and the stars will give off its light, will will not give off its light, and the power of heaven will be shaken. You have a a black backdrop where Jesus comes in all of his glories. Have you ever gone to one of those uh, jewelry stores? And you say, hey, can I see some diamonds? What do they do? They get out that little black cloth. And they they put those diamonds on that black cloth right up under the light. Why do they do that? Because it just shows and shines all of its glory. It just pops and you got that little diamond just screaming out, yeah, you know you want me, come get me, right? Well, can you imagine what it's going to be like to have a black backdrop and that Jesus shows up in His Shekinah glory? Amazing. Every eye will see Him. What a day that's going to be. Like lightning in the sky, everyone will see Jesus. And then His, his angels will sound the trumpet and gather His elect together. Well, then you have a, a mission into the kingdom we see next. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left hand. So what is this going on with the sheeps and the goats? Well, the sheep are those Gentiles that have provided in protect, protection for the Gentile remnant. For, for the Jewish remnant, sorry. And, and they, they, they came to an understanding that the Jews were God's chosen people and they sought to care for them in their time of persecution, even risked their own life to do so. These are the sheep that enter into the millennial kingdom along with the Jewish remnant and they'll populate the kingdom here on earth. Then you have the the goats. These are the ones that that mistreated the the Jewish remnant. They didn't provide for them in their time of need. They didn't give assistance when they were in danger. They didn't give them their houses when they needed a place to stay and they didn't provide clothing for them when they were naked. And Jesus tells them, he makes a point, when you don't do it to the least of these, you don't do it to me. How one treats the Jews will be the basis on which they were allowed entrance into the kingdom. The goats, the unbelievers, will be sent into everlasting punishment. There's going to be a couple of resurrections that happen at this time as well. You have the Old Testament saints in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And notice the next behavior, here. And there shall be a time of trouble. This is Daniel's way of talking about the great tribulation, or the, peri- the, the, the tribulation period that we're making reference to here this, the, throughout the series. Such as never was seen since a nation, even to that same time. He's, again, he's, 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 he's reiterating, this is going to be the worst time ever in the history of mankind. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one That shall be found written in the book, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting shame and contempt. And actually, we find out later that's actually going to be separated by a thousand years. Those righteous Old Testament saints who have died will not be forgotten. They are promised an earthly kingdom, and at this time, God will set up His earthly kingdom here on earth and for those that are uh, resurrected Old Testament saints in order to receive their inherited promise. And then you have the tribulation saints in Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw the thrones, and Him that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for a witness of Jesus, and for the word of the Lord, and uh, which had not worshipped the beast, Neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And they shall reign with him a thousand years. The tribulation saints will be resurrected. And they will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. These are the ones who have died not having taken the mark of the beast or, or worshiping the mark, uh, the, mark uh, the beast or his image. And they, they stayed true to their faith until uh, their life was taken from them. And now they're rewarded for their faithfulness. We see Satan is, de- is detained in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bo- to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And they laid hold of that dragon, that serpent of old, the devil, the- and Satan, and they bound him for a thousand years, and they cast him into the bottomless pit, and they shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more until a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must, re- he must uh, be released for a little while. Now, we hear a lot about kingdom in our, in our, uh, 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 our language today when it comes to churches, but we need to understand that, that if this is, you know, there's a lot of people that believe that we're living in the millennial kingdom today. If that's the case, then there's a problem because we see here that Satan is chained up, and if that's the case, then his, his leash is too long. I mean, we see the effects of Satan in our world today. Satan will be chained up in the pit of hell for a thousand years. And there will be peace upon the earth. The devil will have no influence on the earth during the thousand-year reign of Christ. In addition to that, the lifespan will be extended to an extent that if you were to die at a hundred years of age, you would be considered an infant the lion and the lamb will lie down together not only will there be peace among humans but there'll also be peace among animals and the kingdom will be wonderful but first one must make it through the tribulation and the great tribulation and then after the kingdom in revelation chapter 20 verse 7 and when a thousand years have expired satan will be released from his prison and will go out to to deceive the nations uh, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here we see one final revolt. Satan will be loosed at the end of a thousand-year kingdom for one final revolt. Those who were enemies of Christ will be destroyed. All unbelievers will finally be removed. And there will be a final judgment. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire and he will stay there forever. Unbelievers that have died since the beginning of time will be resurrected into their eternal bodies and they will stand before Jesus and the books will be opened and they will be judged according to their works and they will be condemned along with Satan. And they will spend eternity in hell. And there's also a final heaven and earth. In Revelation 21:1, now I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and the first earth and the first, uh, first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also, there was no more sea. God will remove the curse of sin in this world. The earth will be burned up with fire, for God will create a new heaven and a new earth. He will rule and reign. And we will rule and reign with Him throughout all of eternity. Think about this. This is what's going to happen in the future. Now many of us ask, why the tribulation? Why the tribulation? You said last week, you know, a few weeks ago, Dwayne, if we're saved, we're not going to go through the tribulation. So why even bother with it? Why even study the tribulation? Well, we do so for a few reasons. Number one, assurance. Do you know for sure that you are saved? If not, then this is what you can expect in the future. This is your future tribulation. If there's any doubt, see us and we can help you with your, with your salvation, with the assurance of your salvation, because 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may uh, continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You can know that you have eternal life. That's the assurance that you can have here this morning. You don't need to be filled with anxiety regarding the tribulation. You can be saved from the wrath to come. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power. A spirit of power and a sound mind, Scripture says. But also for those who are hesitant. Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe uh, you're interested in spiritual things. I mean, you're here this morning and and you're thinking about, yeah, this may be something I might like to do. Or maybe you're just not quite sure living the way you want to live and, and you're not quite ready to make that step yet. I've even heard people say that, you know, I'll just wait and hang out and, and see if the rapture happens. And when I know a bunch of people are left and I know it's true, then then I'll go and, and I'll do uh, uh, whatever I need to do. I'll, I'll go and get saved. Or I'll go and read my Bible. I'll go and pray. But right now, I just want to live my life. Listen, listen to me. If you are unwilling to accept Christ with the freedom that you possess today, when Christians li- have to live under a worldwide threat of death, it is highly unlikely that you will follow Christ at that time. Not to mention, you will have a strong delusion and you will even believe a lie. Remember we talked about earlier that this, this, this lie is going to be so strong that it can even uh, deceive the very elect? But also evangelism is another reason why we do this. this can, you can use this to encourage people to decide for Christ. So they don't have to endure not only the tribulation here on earth, but they can escape the greatest punishment of, e- of eternity in hell we discover at the, end of the, uh, uh, at the end that the unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. People need to understand what they're being saved from. I'm surprised at the number of people who call themselves Christians, but they don't believe in a literal hell. I mean, what are you being saved from? Why do you need to be saved at all? Jesus spoke of a literal hell as reality. And so must we. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior here this morning, I want to invite you to receive Him this morning. The reason why we preach on prophecy is because that we want you to be informed of the decisions that you need to make. Don't wait. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. We don't know when, when Christ is going to come for His bride. He can come back at any moment. There are no signs for the rapture. We must all be ready for His coming if we're going to escape the wrath to come. If you want more information on how you can receive Christ, you can speak to myself or any of the staff here. Uh, We'd be more than happy to go and show you how you can be saved here this morning. Or if you'd like to fill out a card, we'll go and set up a time with you. We can come and have that discussion with you. But don't wait. Don't put it off. Listen, I know I've shared a lot of doom and gloom with you over the last two weeks. This is the tribulation. But let me finish up with a story. I heard a story of a lady who went uh, into a bookshop, one of those that allowed you to read the books before purchasing it. And as she was reading, she noticed a friend walking into the shop and she went and, and uh, encountered uh, the gentleman behind the counter and, and she was interested in maybe a good suspense novel. And so he went through and pulled out his own private stash and gave her a few books that she can go through and, and look at. And so she sat down and she began to take these books and started the, the last chapter and begin reading. Now, this lady thought that, well, that was a little bit strange. And she picked up another book and was doing the same thing. And she said, this is, this is crazy. Why was she doing that? So she went over there and said, look, I, I just happened to notice that you're actually reading the, the, the last chapters of the book before you want to go and buy it. Won't that ruin the story knowing the ending? And she responded, before I invest time reading a book, I want to make sure that in the end, everything works out okay. Billy Graham once said, I have read the last page of the Bible. And it's going to turn out all right. And I'll add to that, that is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I realize that there's a lot of uncertainty in our world today. People are frightened regarding their health and their jobs and their families. I can understand their concern, but when we focus only on what we can see and what we can understand and what we can, we can, what we can explain, we worry Fear and doubt will become familiar companions if we live each day with the backdrop of this broken world. Our only hope is Jesus. And He has already let us us in on on the ending of the story. We know how it ends. We must know Him. It's not enough just to know about Him. We must know Him. A personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ assures us that no matter what this world throws our way, no matter what plot or twist our lives take, it's all going to be okay as long as we follow Jesus. I look forward to the day when we come in the heavens with Jesus in our white robes and our glorified bodies, riding on horses, and He is portrayed as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will rule and reign with Him throughout eternity. Let me ask you, are you looking forward to Christ's return here this morning? Are you excited about Christ's return here this morning? Are you sure? I hope you are. If not, then ask yourself, why not? Why not? Knowing the future helps us make better decisions today. Make a decision to follow Christ today because in doing so, in the end, we win. We win. There's one more thing that we'll be doing in the Father's kingdom in the future. And that is finishing off our communion with Him. If you haven't got your communion cups, uh, lift your hand and somebody will, uh, Larry will actually come by and give you a cup if you haven't got one. We've got some up here up to the front too, Larry. During the Passover, there are actually four cups. We don't really see this in the New Testament. Uh, but in, in Passover, there's actually four cups. So when Jesus would, would have sat down with his disciples, there would have been four cups of wine before him. And these are based on the I will statements of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. The first cup is a cup of sanctification based on God's statement, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now we think of that as Christians, listen, we've been removed from the kingdom of darkness. And as a result, we are becoming more and more like Christ. We've been set apart, which is what that word sanctified means. The second one is a cup of judgment or deliverance. And based on God's statement, I will deliver you from slavery to them. For the Christian, Jesus drank of this cup of suffering. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, whenever Jesus was praying, and He prayed, Father, let this cup of suffering pass from Me. This is the cup of suffering that He took, and He drank from this cup of suffering when He went and took our payments on the cross, and He paid for our sins. And next is the cup of redemption, based on God's statement, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. This is the cup that you hold in your hand today. And we celebrate and we remember what Christ's redemption has done for us. And with His outstretched arms on the cross, we look at the bread that was broken and and relate that to the body of Christ that was broken. We take the juice and we relate that to the, the blood that was shed for us so that we can have salvation, so we can have redemption. But there's also a fourth cup. And it is a cup of praise or of consummation or acceptance. And it's based on God's statement, I will take you for my people. Let's read Matthew with this in mind. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and and, uh, gave it to them saying, Drink from it, uh, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But notice this next bit here. But he says, I will not drink this fruit from the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you. Where? In my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Notice here in Matthew, they sang a hymn and they left before partaking of the fourth cup. The fourth cup is waiting for a time when the bride is complete and would join her bridegroom in the Father's kingdom. The purpose of the Lord's table today is to look back at the redemption through Jesus Christ as symbolized as the cup of redemption here. But we also want to look forward to that reunion with Him. And this is why 1 Corinthians instructs us to observe until He comes. One day we will drink of the cup of consummation with Him and His future kingdom. Let's take a few moments. And let's examine ourselves and let's pray. And as you pray, and I want you to think about the body that was broken for you and the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. And if you have any unconfessed sin in your life right now, I want to give you a few moments to just to get right with God before we partake of this. Lord, we come to you here this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken. How it was shredded, it was tore apart, Lord, so that we could have salvation. Lord, also I thank you for the blood that was also shed, Lord. Because Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so, Lord, we want to humble ourselves here this morning. We want to give you thanks for what you have done for us. And here this morning, we want to remember you. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three, it says, For I have received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just remember the clear seal on top reveals the bread, and the foil underneath will give you access to the juice. Let's all partake of the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we want to thank you here this morning. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to remember you here this morning and what you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for our salvation. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.